Hello, everyone, and thank you for bearing with me these last few weeks. As most of you have probably experienced, the holidays are an absolute crunch for time. And although I was happy to spend them with the people that I cared about and I got to see my family and my friends, um, and after that I flew up to graduate from my master's program, it has been a little bit crazy. So to those of you who are still interested, thank you and welcome back to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. Uh, I'm your host, author Jordan M. Griffin, and today we are going to be talking about conflict, when it works, when it doesn't, and how you can avoid common mistakes with it. This podcast will cover craft elements, personal anecdotes, and writing exercises. Please feel free to pause at any time, rewind, or otherwise engage with this lesson in the way that makes the most sense for you. Writing is not a one-size-fits-all art, so I hope you'll be able to shape this talk to meet your own writing needs. When we talk about stories, we often talk about stakes. What does a character stand to lose from their decisions, and why do we as the reader care about them losing it? The higher and more believable your stakes, the more invested your audience will be. One common way to add stakes to a piece of writing is through conflict. A character at odds with something else in the story does a few things for your writing. It gives the story a tangible goal, something your readers can root for. Whether your story is about a girl trying to get the guy, or a knight battling a dragon, or a colony of space rats trying to settle an unoccupied planet, giving your characters obstacles will help you build tension throughout the story. Conflict also helps add different points of view to a work, thus making it more multidimensional. If your readers can understand both sides of a conflict, they are much more likely to remain invested in the story. An argument where you agree 100% with someone isn't an argument at all. You're on their side. It also, unfortunately, is exceedingly rare and therefore is unbelievable in terms of a story. Even an argument with yourself can have two perfectly valid sides, and this is where writers can exploit the natural conflicts we find ourselves in to make their stories really jump off the page. Conflict comes in three really broad categories, though do understand that these are umbrella terms and your specific conflict may lie somewhere in a gray zone. Even if your conflict doesn't fit neatly into one of these boxes, understanding each will help you build the shape of your story, using the various strengths to your advantage while minimizing the weaknesses. Character versus self, character versus nature, and character versus character are the three types of conflict we're going to discuss today. Though you may not employ all three in a single piece of writing, understanding how to use each will help make your story into more than its archetypes. Character versus self is the title used for when attention revolves around a character unable to be at peace with themselves. This might be because of a want they are ashamed to have, such as a drug addiction or an illicit affair with a married coworker. It may be because the character cannot make themselves do something they want to do, like stand up to their mother or finally quit a job that they hate. It may even take the form of something more abstract, such as a deeply troubled character who, unbelieving that they deserve happiness, sabotages themselves every chance they get. Whatever the exact shape of your conflict, all character v-self conflicts have one thing in common. They are, by necessity, highly introspective. This is not necessarily a bad thing. Some of the best, most enrapturing books I've read have had character v. self as their driving conflict. When it works well, authors are able to generate a momentum around the character finally coming to terms with whatever they're grappling with. This climax feels like any other pivotal moment in a story. 
I've rooted for characters overcoming a drug addiction just as hard as I've cheered for a wizard finally vanquishing his foe. The key is to keep the story building. What starts out as a small issue, misplacing keys, forgetting appointments, must slowly and painfully turn into something the protagonist has to confront. Things like passing out in the middle of a Walmart, or cutting themselves off from all friends and family until, trapped in their own self-loathing, they break out their own front window to escape. Whatever you do, you want to make sure that your character goes through a dramatic and undeniable change. We should be able to feel the character growing from one page to the next. In other words, the character on page 20 should not be the same as the character on page 50. One way authors build the room necessary to do the heavy, slow-moving introspection of a character v. self-conflict is through a lyrical style of prose. Focusing on making music with your sentences, having each and every word string together in beautiful lines, helps give the reader something to do while you drag this character through whatever they need to go through. It also helps the reader to be more forgiving of long paragraphs in which the character grapples with themselves. This way, even if your story lags in tension, you can keep your readers hooked through sheer craft alone. Now, if you fear your writing ability may not be ready for this challenge, I highly recommend the book Steering the Craft by Ursula Le Guin. It's a quick read, but it's packed full of great exercises that will help whip your sentences into shape. Another way authors, especially those like me who don't necessarily have the want or the drive to make poetry in the middle of my story, can use character v. self-conflict to fantastic extent is by using it as a secondary conflict. Even if something else huge is going on, like hostile aliens landing on the planet, or the main character's crush dating someone else, or the ghost that's killed its first victim, odds are that your characters will still have conflict within themselves. Fleshing this out and weaving it into your story will not only up the stakes of your conflict, think of the double whammy of failing a test, then having to tell your parents you failed that test, but it also allows you to layer tension so that you can move from one conflict to another and not fatigue your readers. For example, imagine a story where soldiers are lying in a trench knowing they're going to run on the enemy with the breaking dawn. Pretty good tension. Now add to that mix a character staring at his rifle wondering how he's going to feel when he takes his first life. Okay, much more interesting. Almost any story can benefit from this type of added conflict. Characters can wonder whether a relationship is really a good idea, or they can have unrealistic expectations of their schoolwork, or maybe feel the need to avenge their family's memory as they embark on a crusade. Whatever your motive for your story, adding an undercurrent of uncertainty allows you as the writer to modulate your writing. When you need the tension to rise, let the character's doubts sabotage them. Imagine if they call and cancel that date, even though they're excited to go because they don't want to make a fool of themselves. On the flip side, when you need your tension to fall but not disappear completely, you can take one thread away by giving the character peace with themselves. Even if the big battle is looming, the reader will feel a release if the character finally forgives themselves for something they've been carrying around. Now, with all this being said, there are a few pitfalls to watch out for with this type of conflict. Because character versus themselves is so introspective, it has a tendency to drag along the page, taking up more room than is entirely necessary. 
writers may feel that because it doesn't seem like anything concrete is happening, they want to pad the runtime of their stories to give the reader a good experience. In most cases, exactly the opposite is true. Often, your reader doesn't need more than a sentence or two to understand exactly why this character is in turmoil. Instead, if they're investing the time to read your story, they want some sort of forward momentum. Sure, it's not necessarily a bad thing if the cheerleader has self-esteem issues, but a story that spends a page and a half explaining that she'd always been self-conscious, even before her rival made cheer captain and made out with her boyfriend, is a lot less interesting than seeing the effect that self-esteem has on her in real time. Does she park in the very back corner of the lot and wait until 10 minutes after the bell rings so she doesn't have to see anyone in the halls and takes a tardy every single day? Does she go out of her way to avoid the cheer captain and her ex, walking all the way around the science building instead of going through the courtyard, which will save her five minutes? Grounding your internal conflict this way will help your reader stay in the present of the story and will also help you as the writer from drifting too far into introspection. An exercise you can try to see if you like this type of conflict is this. Think of a character you'd like to work with. Now think of a place very personal to that character. It might be their childhood home, a friend's house, the park where they used to lie on the wet grass and look up at the stars. Anywhere they feel safe or at peace. Now, write a scene where the character returns to that safe place, except that it has irrevocably changed. Maybe a family has moved into their old childhood home, or their friend's old house has been neglected for 30 years, or that old park is now a movie theater. What feelings does this bring up in your character? What inner turmoil? Explore that a little bit and see where it takes you. Next, we have the character versus nature conflict. This arises when tension comes from a conflict between a sentient being and a naturally occurring non-sentient force. This could be a wild animal, as long as that wild animal doesn't speak or have feelings a disease, a hurricane, or even the vacuum of space. This type of conflict brings a lot of energy to a work. The forces of nature are often big, scary, and deadly. Even a run-of-the-mill storm contains the possibility of floods, downed power lines, and general mayhem. A real event like a tornado contains forces that are hard for most of us to even imagine. You can use this energy to great advantage. For one, it's a natural way to build tension. If you plant the event early, describing the clouds rolling in or the dry tinder cracking underfoot or the waves building in momentum as they pound on the beach, and then continue referring to that throughout the work, the readers will feel the imminence of the event growing. It will help ratchet up that tension and before long, you'll have a pressure cooker ready to burst. A common thread of character versus nature arcs is that they often feature a small cast of characters, so as to highlight the vastness of the challenge before them. Think of Jack London's style of writing, where people are caught out against the elements with dwindling hope. That's something that appeals to many people, some truth we all recognize even in our big houses and comfortable, temperature-controlled environments. The elements are still a difficult match for humans. One way to flip this idea on its head and get away from that stereotype is to introduce an element dependent upon human population. Disease is a really good example of this. The closer together everyone lives, the more danger they are in. Fire, too, fits that description. 
the denser the population, the more likely one is to get trapped in buildings, inhale smoke, have toxic chemicals released into airways. Fire is, of course, terrifying in nature too, especially in environments with long grasses and rolling hills where blazes can move unbelievingly fast. So use your environment to your advantage. One great thing about character versus nature conflict is its ability to be used symbolically. A space station that fails might be a lesson to humanity not to underestimate the unforgiving nature of the stars. A rainstorm with lashing winds and cracking lightning might be a parallel for the point of view character's life falling apart. Now, as you can imagine, you want to be careful not to be too heavy-handed with this. We've all read books where the main character is crying and the wind is howling and it all feels a little too over the top. You, as the reader, probably check out immediately, don't you? The tension feels manufactured, the prose feels like it's trying to be Dickens in all the wrong ways, and you stop trusting that the writer has you in good hands. The key to avoiding this and creating satisfying tension is planting and payoff. If we, as the readers, know that storms are starting to roll in, if it has been established that fire or disease is not only a possibility, but perhaps prevalent in this environment or society, we are much more likely to believe the big event when it comes. We are even much more likely to accept it as symbolic because the author has shown us it hasn't come from nowhere or isn't just a device to keep the plot moving. Like character versus self, character versus nature can be used to great effect as a secondary conflict. For example, perhaps a character grappling with the perception that they have let the memory of their father down has a chance to redeem themselves fighting a breakout of disease. In this case, the main conflict is character versus self. The character's self-loathing will be the thing we expect them to reckon with, and either succumb to or resolve by the end of the story. That conflict is then enhanced with the tension of a deadly disease, which puts the character and anyone they care about directly in harm's way. The stakes are literally now life and death, mirroring the metaphorical life and death conflict going on inside the character. We will probably expect the subplot, which is the disease, to be resolved first, which allows the character to think on that outcome and then resolve the main tension, how they feel about themselves living up to their father's memory. When this type of conflict goes awry, it's usually because the events of the work seem manufactured or random. Ever heard the joke about falling rocks killing a character? While the joke is used in many formats in the writing world, it's what we say when we have no idea where a story could go from where we've left off. Uh, maybe a rock falls out of the sky and crushes the character to death. While it's funny, all too often I read stories or books that have that very concept. An avalanche comes out of nowhere and buries the town, somehow sparing the main character. Or the protagonist falls over a waterfall, a distance that would kill anyone else, but somehow they aren't dead. It's a cheap way to build tension and have something happen in your story, and the readers will know it immediately. They may even close the book, which I have done on more than one occasion when something like this occurs. The key to making the conflicts believable goes back to the planting and payoff we talked about earlier. If you know you're going to have an avalanche in your story, it would be best for you to start planting that early. Start talking about the steepness of the hills and how they funnel into the valley where the town sits. Discuss the heavy powder snowfall that will pack onto those hills and how the townspeople grumble as they look at it every day. Perhaps a mini-slide happens early on in the work, which clues the reader in that avalanches are not only a possibility, they are something the town is already well aware of. 
Another thing to watch out for when it comes to character V nature is the modulation of your tension. In order to get the audience to understand the landscape they are in, writers often lean heavily on description. This slows the pace of the work and can even lead to readers failing to get invested in the story. As discussed with character V self, less is often more. Readers don't need more than a paragraph or two to understand the stakes. Even if they are unfamiliar with the landscape, a few well-placed descriptions of the environment, especially the ways that people or animals survive that environment, will tell the audience what they're dealing with. If you'd like to try your hand with character V nature, or if you'd like to clean up a conflict that you already have, see if this exercise helps. Take a character who is normally very capable, a doctor, a fish and wildlife guide, a welder, and place them somewhere they're not used to. Try not to give in too much to the comedy available here, but rather challenge your character to take this new environment seriously. What feelings does being helpless draw up in them? How does this new situation make them grow or change? See if you can write a page or a page and a half. What ways are you using the environment to reflect upon the struggles of your character? The last umbrella of conflict we'll discuss today is probably the most used in the stories we consume regularly. Character versus character conflicts arise when two or more sentient characters, be they cats or humans or aliens, are at odds with one another. Nearly every piece of fiction we consume has some level of this conflict, be it a love story, a horror novel, a soap opera, or the latest action thriller. One reason for its prevalence is that conflict is relatable to every single person who has ever come into touch with other human beings. We've all experienced many types of conflict in our lives, the benign bickering of close friends, or the feeling of powerlessness when a teacher calls us out in front of the class, or the shattering realization that those we love are not who we thought they were. It makes sense, then, that most of our stories would be about these moments, dissecting them, imagining them going a thousand different ways, picking them apart in the ways we wish we could do to our own arguments in real life. Character versus character works well as a main conflict simply because of how many different shapes it can take. The stories which manage to do this best are the ones which acknowledge a truth we might not want to admit. More often than not, both sides to an argument have at least a shred of truth in them. Rarely will fights escalate into something big enough to revolve a story around without both characters being firmly convinced they are right. And unless your character is for some reason not grounded in reality or logic, no person defends a stance that doesn't have at least some validity, even if that truth has been twisted into something it was never meant to be. Take two characters, friends and colleagues, both up for the same promotion. One colleague has worked at the company significantly longer, so she believes she deserves the promotion. The other is a relative newcomer to the company, though he has a string of successes and some radical new ideas of how to move forward in their industry. Who would you root for? Without knowing anything else, it's probably hard to say. Even if you knew the woman was a single mother of two who liked to work in her garden and paint with her kids, and the man was a young, hotshot prodigy, perhaps a little too full of himself but meaning really well, could you choose one who is better than the other? All the best stories force you to examine choices such as these. We don't need to like both sides or even agree with them, but we should at least understand and believe why each character cannot back down. And yes, this even goes for the hard and fast villains hell-bent on taking over the world. 
even if their only motivation is power, I at least want to understand what they plan to do with said power. Destroy the people who were mean to them as a child? Lead an ill-fated attempt to bring their people out of a hopeless situation? You certainly do not have to give your villain a redemption arc, that's not what I'm saying. I'm only advocating for treating each of your characters like they have something worthwhile to say. Remember, after all, that no character would do something they thought was the wrong choice. There's a reason they're doing the things they're doing, and taking the time to understand your characters, even the bad, power-hungry, unforgivable ones, will help your story jump from words on a page to something so much more. Character versus character conflicts are hard to define because of how many different shapes they can take. A big thing to keep in mind as you're crafting your story is not to make up reasons for these characters to go after each other that don't make sense in the context of the world you've created. A suburban mom, for example, probably wouldn't challenge the head of the PTA to a duel in the street. Instead, she might spread rumors about her parenting style. She might forbid their children from playing together. She might get the woman kicked off the PTA committee by airing the dirty details of her upcoming divorce. Whatever your story might be, whether it's PTA meetings or sword fights or two ghosts deciding who gets to haunt an apartment, you want to consider what type of battle makes sense for your characters. Every character operates within the rules and limitations of their society, class, economic standing, and physical ability. If your world is one where magic is abound, then perhaps that's a route your character could take. If your world is one where the conflict is better served with laxatives in the brownies at the bake sale, then take it and run. The point is that the conflict does not need to be some grandiose, over-the-top affair. As long as it affects the stakes which have already been defined for the character, such as societal standing, money, life, etc., the reader will take each and every conflict just as seriously as if the character stood teetering on the edge of a tall building. Also, it is best to avoid manufactured conflict between two characters. I know I, as a reader, can sniff from a mile away when two characters are arguing over something they really shouldn't care about. You see this in TV all the time. Two characters must not like each other, so they change their stances, ideas, and even beliefs just to make sure they stay at odds with one another. If you can't find a reason for your characters to be upset with each other, then consider adding something else to your story. Is there a promotion they both might want? A bewitched jewel they might need to use for their own gains. Something you can accept they will both want, but that only one can have. This will immediately give you a conflict that neither character can get away from, and as long as they still want the thing in question, they will have to face, in whatever way makes the most sense for them, their adversary. As you can imagine, there are more types of conflict than just these three. But understanding these umbrellas will help you steer away from tropes and cliches. One way to do this is to weave multiple conflicts together. Especially in long-form fiction, there should be multiple conflicts going on at once. This could be doubles of the same type, such as one character arguing with multiple other characters, perhaps in multiple ways. Or it could be using different conflict types simultaneously. And remember, as much as all stories need conflict, it also shouldn't be all bad all the time. Readers, and your characters, need space to breathe. They want to see characters triumph, and at least a little, a moment of reprieve before diving into the next awful thing. Even if characters are simply remembering a time gone by or yearning for better things, all sentient beings want, in their hearts, peace. 
Don't be afraid to use this to your advantage when constructing the shape of the conflicts you plan to write. I hope this talk was helpful to you, and remember, you're always welcome to go back, give it another listen, pause, rewind, and otherwise engage with this in the way that makes the most sense for you and your work at the moment. If you have any questions, ideas for topics, or you want to give us a funny anecdote, send us an email at rightturn at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-3, the number three, T-U-R-N at gmail.com. Or you can click on the link in the description of this episode. If you have a story that you'd like to send us, make sure that it is under 1,500 words and send it to rightturn at gmail.com. Or again, click the link in the description. I hope you all have a lovely day. And if it's not a good one, I hope that the next one is better. See you all next time. Thank you.